Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. All right, I have a few. I need more. Good morning. Thank you. All right. Happy New Year. We have made it through the first week of the new year. If you are new, uh, my name is Obed and I am one of the leaders here. And as always, we are thankful and grateful that you have decided to dedicate um, this part of your Sunday to gathering with us. Um, as a church, we are all about being a church family on mission with Jesus. Um, and we gather on Sundays in order to explore and learn um, what, who God is and how he wants us to live. Um, this Sunday, we are going to kickstart um, the year by doing a review of the book of Galatians. And I'll be able to, along the way, kind of unravel um, the reason why we'll be doing this. And so... If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament, and as always is our custom, may you please stand for the reading of this book. This Sunday, we're going to be all over Galatians, but what I want to do is for us to collectively read the first five verses of chapter 1 of chapter 1. And so Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5 reads, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, may you, may you do what only you can do, and that is open the eyes of our hearts so we may come to know who you are this morning and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, as you know, uh, New Year's resolutions haven't disappeared. They are still in existence in our current culture. Um, studies show that almost 40% of American adults, I'm not American, so I'm excluding myself from these statistics, American adults make New Year's resolutions. There's something about a brand new year that just gets us all excited about starting fresh. What do you think, I've got a question for you, what would you say is the number one resolution on most people's lists? What do you think? I didn't hear anything. It's all over the place. You guessed it, exercising more, <laughs> all right? 
nearly half of the people who make resolutions are lacing up their sneakers and hitting the gym. And that's not all. The next top five resolutions are eating better, shedding a few pounds, saving some cash, chasing after career goals, and even cutting down on social media. Whatever your New Year's resolutions are this year, this morning, this is what I want to do. I want you to seriously consider a resolution that might not make the popular list or trend on social media. This morning, I want you to seriously consider a New Year's resolution that I believe will be the most transforming and rewarding resolution you'll ever make. And so the question is, what is this resolution I'm talking about? Let's do a quick recap of Galatians to find out. And so last year, uh, we began a series based on the New Testament book called Galatians. Galatians is really not a book, um, but it's actually a letter written by a first century Christian leader commonly known as the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote Galatians to the Christian community living in an ancient region in Asia Minor called Galatia. It is believed that um, he wrote Galatians sometime between AD 48 um, and AD 55. We're not certain exactly when he wrote this letter, but we know for sure why he wrote the letter. Paul wrote Galatians to address a serious issue the Christian community in Galatia were facing. And so, what is this issue? The letter to Galatians begins like most of Paul's letters begin, with an introductory greeting. Um, look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 through to 3 again. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of Paul's letters begin with an introduction like this one. And then what he does next is that he moves on to some sort of thanksgiving. He thanks the church that he's writing um, um, to and he thanks them for some qualities they have. But Galatians is different. Instead of the usual thanksgiving after the greeting, Paul jumps straight into a rebuke. He says in verse 6 of chapter 1, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see the word astonished, um, underline it, circle it, 
in this verse, this word can have one of two meanings. Being surprised and impressed by something. This Christmas, I was surprised and incredibly impressed by something, and that was the Christmas gift my son got me. My son got me the jersey of our favorite soccer team in England. And the reason I was super impressed is that they are expensive, and he used his own money to get it for his dad. Exactly. (laughs) And so, astonished can mean being super impressed by something, but it can also mean being seriously distressed by something. Here, Paul's definitely leaning into the second meaning. He's seriously distressed by something. And so the question is, what is the apostle Paul troubled by? Look at verse 6 again. Um, He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is distressed that the Christian community in Galatia are what are so quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. Noted theologian John Stott points out that the verb deserting means to transfer one's allegiance. Historically, and we're doing a quick history lesson here. Historically, this term term was applied to soldiers who abandoned their posts or, even worse, defected to enemy's side. And in the realm of politics, this term, to desert, was used for politicians who changed their party affiliation or loyalty And so it would be like Donald Trump becoming a Democrat or Joe Biden becoming a Republican. I know. I'm British. I can talk about these things. (laughs) It's election year, right? I think so. In both the army and politics, deserting means breaking trust and leaving behind what you once believed in. In essence, this is what's going on. The Galatians are involved in something similar but worse. By deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ, they're not just changing their beliefs, but they're actually distancing themselves from the God who redeemed them through Christ. Scott McKnight, who's a really smart guy, um, wrote lots of books, says this about the Galatians. Their move was not just an intellectual one. 
Rather, it was a desertion of God as made known in Christ. It was abandoning of their personal relationship with God. Most of the time, we don't simply turn from something and begin to move aimlessly in a new direction. Most of the time, we turn from something to something else. And so in verse 6, verse 6 doesn't only reveal to us that the Galatians are turning away from God, but it also tells us what they're turning to. Um, Look at verse 6 again. It says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. That's what they're turning from. And what are they turning to? And turning to what? A different gospel. A different gospel. What is this different gospel? Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 7. Not that there is another gospel, another one, another gospel, Paul says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. First of all, even though Paul refers to what they've been turning to as a different gospel, he makes it clear that there's no other gospel, all right? He's very much like, hey, you're turning to a different gospel, and he's like, no, no, wait a minute, there's actually no other gospel at all. The late Tim Keller says this, another gospel is not another gospel. It is no gospel. To change the gospel the tiniest bit is to lose it so completely that the new teaching has no right to be called a gospel. After Paul mentions in verse 7 that there isn't really another gospel, um, he goes on to say that there are some who are disturbing or troubling the Galatians, and these same people are wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. And so who are these people? Um, This is a direct reference to a group of people known in those days as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, they were a group of Jewish Christians within the early Christian community who argued that if you were a new Christian, especially if you weren't originally Jewish, what you had to do was follow some of the old Jewish rules in order to be truly saved. The Judaizers were promoting a different gospel by insisting that salvation involved works. Their gospel wasn't even a gospel at all. It was a counterfeit gospel. And the reason why it was a counterfeit gospel was because they were saying that to truly be a Christian, to truly be someone God loves and accepts fully and completely in Christ, You not only have to believe in Jesus, you have to do something else. And so after confronting the Galatians for turning to a different gospel, what the Apostle Paul does is he moves on to clarify the true nature of the gospel in the verses and chapters that follow. First, he clarifies the true gospel by reflecting on his personal story. 
Um, look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, uh, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This passage we just read is a summary of Paul's life before he became a Christian. He was not just a law-abiding Jew. His devotion to his Jewish beliefs was so intense so intense, he actively sought to destroy any opposing views, and this included Christianity. However, later in life, Paul would encounter Jesus Christ. His life would be radically changed from a zealous Jew to someone who loved Jesus and lived for Jesus for real. And this transformation, this transformation, this encounter with Christ led him to a profound realization. Look at this realization. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. This is what Paul says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In these verses, Paul acknowledges that righteousness and justification come through faith alone in Christ alone, not through works of the law. Secondly, Paul further clarifies the true gospel in Galatians through an, an, an unexpected encounter involving Peter, a key leader in the early church. Look at chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. He says, But when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter, okay, key leader in the Christian church, he had stopped eating and fellowshipping with non-Jewish Christians out of fear of criticism. Paul denounces this behavior as hypocrisy, stressing that it contradicts the core principles of the gospel. Listen to how he says this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 14 says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a, Gen a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul's confrontation with Peter wasn't just about social etiquette, 
It was a matter of gospel integrity. Peter's decision to stop eating with Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians, reflected this misalignment with the true essence of the gospel message. And one of those true essences of the gospel message is that in Christ, salvation is available for anyone everywhere who believes. Third, in Galatians, Paul clarifies the true gospel by highlighting the limitations of the law for justification and elevating faith in Christ as the sole path to salvation. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. By using the term under a curse, Paul is conveying the essence or the consequence, sorry, of relying on one's own ability to keep the entirety of the law for salvation. In essence, anyone who tries to achieve salvation through works of the law is under a curse, as in they're in a state of spiritual distress, disconnected from God's favor and blessings. And the reason anyone who tries to achieve salvation through their own works, through what they have to do, is under a curse, is because it's impossible to obey the law perfectly. It's impossible to live a good and perfect life. And so if there's nothing we can do to be saved, how then can we be saved? Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, and we've been here before. It says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the only way to be delivered from the curse of the law and justified before God is through faith alone in Christ alone. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. By becoming a curse, Christ redeems believers from the curse of the law and makes it possible for anyone everywhere to be justified before a holy God. Everything I've covered so far can be summed up with one word, justification. And justification is at the core of the gospel. Without the doctrine of justifications, there is no salvation and there is no Christianity. To be justified means to be made right, to be fully and completely accepted before the God of the universe. And as we've seen over and over again in Galatians, 
justification is received not through anything good we can do, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This truth of justification by faith alone is at the heart of Christianity, and it's what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions and philosophies of life. All other religions and philosophies of life say that you have to do something in order to get to God. Christianity comes along and says, no, it has been done for you. And the only way you can get to to God is by receiving the gift of salvation that is provided for you in Jesus Christ. Michael Horton says this, and this is a long quote, but I really wanted to um, share it to just summarize everything. The heart of most religions is good advice, good techniques, good programs, good ideas, and good support systems. But the heart of Christianity is good news. It comes not as a task for us to fulfill, a mission for us to accomplish, a game plan for us to follow with the help of life coaches, but as a report that someone else has already fulfilled, accomplished, followed, and achieved everything for us. Good advice may help us in daily direction, The good news, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ saves us from sin's guilt and tyranny over our lives and the fear of death. It's good news because it does not depend on us. It is about God and his faithfulness to his own purposes and promises. The essence of Christianity is not Jesus' moral instruction, as important as that is, the essence of the gospel of Christianity is that our acceptance by God does not depend on us. The gospel is about what God did for us in Christ, not about what we do for him. This is the good news Paul wants to clarify for the Christian community in Galatia. And guess what? This is the good news he wants us to understand and embrace. And so, why? Why on this first Sunday of the new year have I dedicated time to reminding us of what the gospel is? Why didn't I choose to share a message about how to effectively execute all of your New Year's resolutions? Or why isn't today's message about the five steps you need to take to achieve all of your dreams and desires in 2024? Why have I spent the last 20 minutes revisiting the gospel, which is the central theme of the Bible, and obviously the book of Galatians? Here's the reason. 
Here's the reason. Listen to me, yeah? The most transformative and rewarding resolution you can make this year is to live a life centered around the gospel. Let me say that again. The most transformative and rewarding resolution you can make this year is to live a life centered around the gospel. To anchor your life in the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And so, why is this? Why am I inviting you to seriously consider making the gospel and living out the gospel your main and most valuable resolution? This is why. First of all, we all need the gospel. We tend to view the gospel as just the basics. And if you're a Christian, sometimes we can view the gospel as a stepping stone to bigger and better things. Like, oh, do you know what? The gospel was for me to be saved, and now I am saved. I want bigger and better things. I don't want the milk of the gospel. I want some meaty theology. This outlook of the gospel cannot be further from the truth because the truth is you, Christian, never get beyond the gospel. You never graduate or advance from the gospel. You always will need the gospel. The gospel isn't just the starting point of Christianity. It's the daily nourishment that sustains us as Christians. The gospel isn't only for those who are coming to faith for the first time, but also for the seasoned believer Timothy Keller again says, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. And so as we face new challenges make decisions, and encounter trials this coming year, we need to remain anchored in the gospel. This is the reality, okay? This year, someone you know will hurt you deeply. And remembering the gospel... The fact that God has forgiven you of all your sins in Christ is what will give you the strength to extend forgiveness to others even if it's hard. This year, when you find yourself facing trials or walking through tough times, The hope that is found in the gospel is what will be your anchor. 
Let the gospel assure you that your trials are temporary compared to the eternal joy and peace promised to you in Christ. We have a pretty young church, and this year, I know that three couples are going to get married, all right? It's exciting times for our church, yeah? Three weddings, and I'm sure there's going to be more. And so, for all of you lovely, romantic couples who are going to be stepping into the beautiful journey of marriage this year, the gospel will remind you of this, that your God is a good, good father who gives good gifts to his children. And all the men said, amen to that. Husbands, the gospel will inspire you to love your wives with the sacrificial love that Christ showed. Wives, the gospel is what will empower you to submit to your Christ-like husband as the church submits to Christ. For the adventurers and explorers among us, As you travel and witness the wonders of our world, let the gospel remind you of your creator's majesty. The same God who painted every horizon, carved every valley, and invented every taste knows you by name and calls you his child. And for those who will face career changes or new job opportunities, the gospel offers perspective and it offers peace. The gospel will remind you that your identity and worth are not tied to your job title or achievements, but found in Jesus Christ alone. In every situation we encounter this year, whether joyous or challenging, the gospel needs to be our campus. The gospel is more than just good news. It's the foundation of our daily walk, and it will influence how we respond to life's moments, both big and small. Second, we need to resolve to live by the gospel because the gospel is the right motivation for good works. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not called to be mere, we are not called to a mere intellectual acceptance of the gospel, but we're also expected to allow it to transform our attitudes and behaviors and interactions. Being fully accepted and loved by God apart from our good works is what causes us to abound in good works. Listen, Legalism might get some people to do good works, but it will never get anyone excited about doing good works. The gospel, on the other hand, gets you excited about good works because it means you can obey freely from the heart rather than out of fear of what God might do to you if you don't. And so as we embark on this new year, I want to encourage you to sign up, right, to serve in one of our ministries. And I want you to do it not out of obligation, but from a place of gratitude and eagerness, knowing that in Christ you are given the opportunity to serve 
and make a difference. The third reason resolving to live a gospel-centered life this year is the most transformative and rewarding resolution you can make is this, that counterfeit gospels still exist. Counterfeit gospels, false gospels have not gone away. What Paul battled with in his day, we witness here and now. Counterfeit gospels have not gone away. False teachers who promote different gospels are still alive and well. Counterfeit gospels like the prosperity gospel or moralistic therapeutic deism or self-help gospel, etc. are still prevalent. Prevalent. And... Among these, I would say the most pervasive and subtle, especially when it comes to New Year's resolution, is the gospel of self. The gospel of self teaches that we are the architects of our own destiny. And we are capable of overcoming any obstacle through sheer willpower and self-reliance. Jen Oshman, who wrote a great book on this, says this. In the 21st century, we claim we are self-made and self-sufficient. Everything from online college degrees to bathroom renovations is DIY. Do it yourself. For most of us, when we say, New Year, New Me, we mean that we will pursue self-improvement via self-help and self-control. Pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is, an American, is as American as apple pie. <laughs> Yesterday, my wife worked um, at an event, and it was a really well-known author, and the whole premise, focus of her talk was basically, look, you, if you put your mind on anything, you can do whatever you want. This gospel of self is a counterfeit because it tries to put us in the place that's really meant for God. It's like we're trying to be the hero of our own story, relying on our own power instead of leaning on Christ's strength. But here's the thing. When we base our resolutions on our own abilities, we will eventually encounter the limits of our willpower and discipline. And this is probably why the second Friday of January has been nicknamed what? Quitter's Day. <laughs> it really is. It's called Quitter's Day, <laughs> right? It's when a lot of us end up giving up on our New Year's resolutions. And guess what? Research has found that only 9% of us actually see our New Year's resolutions through to the end. Crazy. In contrast, the true gospel offers a different perspective. It invites us to acknowledge our limitation and find our strength, hope, and identity in Christ. Christ. 
And so as we make our resolutions this year, let us be mindful of where we place our trust. Instead of falling for the counterfeit gospel of self, let's anchor our hopes and aspirations in the true gospel, allowing God's grace to transform and sustain us throughout this year. Lastly, making a decision to live a gospel-centered life this year is the most transformative and rewarding resolution you can make because the gospel is the greatest news that invites you to make the best decision. The gospel is more than just good news. It's a transformative message that speaks directly to each of us. Listen to me clearly. The gospel tells us that we are all sinners Every one of us, our mistakes, our wrongdoings, the things we're not proud of, these are our sins. That's the bad news, but there is good news. The good news is that God, in his boundless, unconditional love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus lived a sinless life and then chose to die for our sins. And so why did Jesus die for our sins? So that we could be forgiven so that the weight and guilt of our sins would be absorbed by him and lifted off our shoulders. But the story doesn't end at the cross on the third day, Jesus rose again, defeating death, and through this, he offers us eternal life. This is a gift, unearned, undeserved, freely given to everyone, everywhere who believes. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This means that when we accept Christ, we're not just turning over a new leaf. We're starting a new life. Our old self, marked by sin, is crucified with him, and we rise to a new life filled with hope and redemption. And the reality is some of you in this room have experienced just that. By accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now a child of God and you have hope and redemption and a future. So if you are here today and you haven't made this decision, the decision... to make 
the best decision of your life to dedicate your life to loving and living for Jesus. I would urge you to seriously consider it. This is an invitation to acknowledge your sin of living for yourself and accept that Jesus paid the ultimate price for it and to receive the eternal life he offers. It's not about following a set of rules. It's not Christianity, okay? It's about starting a real personal relationship with the God of the universe. This year, the most profound and life-changing decision you can make is to dedicate your life to Jesus. And so make this year the year you accept this incredible gift of salvation in Christ alone. And so, Happy New Year. And may you resolve to live a life centered around the gospel. Let's pray. And so, God, I ask that you would sharpen our focus and our view of the gospel, of what you have done for us in Christ. May you do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.